in the effort to not be doing any damage to parrots and to be understood, <laughs> I call them probabilistic mimics. But now that you said probably machines, I think I'm going to steal that. Nice. Ooh. Maybe nice. I'll go down in history as the guy that labeled the thing. Welcome to the show. This is the Bot Brothers AI for Educators. I'm Mike Pearson. I'm Pat Burns. Um, we have a, I, I'm going to say a super special guest star on, on our show. We've got distinguished professor Lauren Goodlad out of Rutgers. Um, I know, uh, Professor Goodlad, that you you did a stint at um, University of Illinois. So shout out to the Midwest. I-L-L. Um, yeah, and Pat is also a graduate, so he was super excited. We have, I went to NIU, so we have fights because in Illinois, U of I is the better school, and I'm just a like satellite, like whatever, small state school, wang, 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 which I had great professors though, so I don't care. Um, so we're happy to have you on the show. Um, you've got quite the Vita, quite the resume. I, I'm just, I think I'm just going to let you fill this stuff in. I know you're a distinguished, distinguished professor. I'm kind of guessing on what, but maybe it might be easier just to have you fill in uh, your area of expertise. Thanks for that uh, very generous introduction. And it's a real pleasure to be in dialogue with people from the great state of Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, I am distinguished professor of English and comparative literature. Um, my field is uh, the Victorian era, literature and culture. And um, what initially got me interested in the topic of artificial intelligence, so-called, was that I, I like to um, work on history from what is called the long durée, um, in other words, how it relates to the present day. And I started to do some work on uh, the history of statistics mm. and realized that a lot of the really basic innovations in statistical reasoning were came about in um, the Victorian period, huh. primarily by people who were involved in um, eugenics and other things that are now thought of as, as pseudoscientific. Um, through uh, devices that today would be thought of as, roughly speaking, linear regression, in other words, bell curves. And um, that is, to this day, you know, linear regression is something that um, machine learning technologies use, only they have become a lot more multi-layered and sophisticated. So instead of thinking of it in terms, if you're if we're talking about something like a large language model, instead of thinking of one of the big ones as a big bell curve, you might think of it as something that has a lot of parameters, perhaps as many as a trillion parameters, every single one of which has a kind of classifier that mm -hmm. operates like a bell curve. Because huh. these systems are predictive, they are fundamentally predictive analytics. And predictive analytics is always probabilistic. And that way of reasoning about the world is uh, a late 19th century innovation. Hmm. It's, it's so steampunk then, isn't it? It's <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to think of it. Um, you could do know, a graphic I, novel. <laughs> yeah, that is, yeah, right. That That is um, for the most detailed explanation I've heard. I, I, I think because of what my area is just is just English, and I'm a high school teacher. I think I think of the large language models as, as I, I call them probably machines, right? Like you're probably like you 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 prompt you prompt it, and you're probably going to get something that resembles something like what you're looking for, probably. I like that. Prop, you know, I mean, probably machines is 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 exactly right. I I tend to call them probabilistic mimics. Which mm -hmm. is my own way of parsing um, the more technical term stochastic parrot that you may have heard from the research of Emily Bender, Tim Nietzsche and colleagues. This is a, a really important paper that came out in 2021 on the dangers of large language models. 
and and it called it stochastic parrots. And while the paper is super important, and it had a, a you know it it had the effect of actually um, bringing to light how much Google in this instance wanted to suppress its findings because they actually fired um, two of the researchers that were involved in writing the paper and mm. others had to withdraw their name from the paper so as not to be fired. Um, while all of that is super important, I um, tend to uh, veer away from the the term stochastic parrot because nobody knows what stochastic means. Um, right. Tends actually just si simply means seemingly random and unpredictable. Um, although there is so much data in these models that it finds patterns despite that seemingly random and unpredictable um, nature of language. And I also want to avoid the word parrot. Um, which linguists use as a way of saying um, to utter something unmeaningfully, because oh. parrots are actually really smart animals, um, as mm. we're as we're beginning to discover. Um, so, uh, in the effort to not be doing any damage to parrots and to be <laughs> understood, I call them probabilistic mimics. But now that you said probably machines, I think I'm going to steal that. Nice. Mm. Maybe I'll nice. go down in history as the guy that labeled the thing, like the. Well, and now we have record of it right here. It's I proof. know, right? So It'll that's a good deal. Good it's deal. first first <laughs> coined by Mike Pearson, 2023 on a podcast. <laughs> a little, little footnote, my claim to fame. Um, Time for us to go viral. Right <laughs> there, we go. Um, I, I want to come back to the the the, the kind of the language uh, problem with stochastic parrot. Um, but be before I get there, unless Pat, you have any, any questions? Oh, real sometimes... quickly. And, and granted my source, and I'm embarrassed to say this in front of a professor, no less, because I was trying, I've not heard that phrase either. So I started looking up as you're like explaining that and I'm like, oh, that's how you spell it. It's <laughs> stochastic. And, and it's apparently the term was coined by Emily M. Bender. So Mike, I apologize to you. I don't know why I'm apologizing to you, but, uh, you can't coin it. It's been coined. Um, or no, no, probably you said that. That's yes. bad. Stochastic yes. parrot is hers. Stochastic okay. parrot yes. has definitely been can you, coined can you, by Emily Bender and her team, though. If I could yes. add, yeah, um, just to just to add um, rampant sexism to the problem of Google having um, fired two of the researchers, not Bender, who is a professor, but Denise oh. Jabru and her colleague Margaret Mitchell, who at that time were the co-leads of the ethics division at Google, um, on, if, as if that wasn't bad enough, um, stochastic parrot became such an important term in the research community. Um, but when it, you know, came up in the New York Times, came up uh, on Twitter many times, people thought that um, Sam Altman had said it, that, that um, Gary Marcus had said it. It's like, no. Um, these four female researchers right. were the ones who said it first. Well, and it didn't take that much to find that information. That was pretty easy to locate. Um, wow. Okay. Okay. Well, and it, I actually appreciate you bringing that up because I know in previous episodes, it's been a while that we've even talked about um, uh, ethics boards basically kind of being dismantled at some of these companies. And I've always kind of wondered, oh, yeah. like, I mean, I have my own cynical thoughts on that. Uh, but it's interesting to hear your your kind of uh, take on it uh, because it's it's actually kind of confirming some stuff that I kind of figured as much that they just kind of don't want to deal with it because it it, it complicates things really quickly, um, which is probably a big reason why Mike love having you on the on the podcast because it's a complicated sort of uh, topic and so we need to have disparate voices to see well what are we actually working with here. So I appreciate your your your. Uh, your, your points and, and, and you just being on the show. It's great. Not to speak of the Illinois stuff, although that's great as well. So, you know, <laughs> the Illini is the main thing for Pat. Yeah. Here. yeah. It really, it really kind of is. That's the big, <laughs> thing. I, I can't tell you how excited I was uh, because um, you know how you think about, you know, your undergraduate days and what have you, and you kind of develop those rose colored glasses. It was tough being down there. I worked my butt off. Uh, but I did go back for master's and finish that up in May that I'm uh, you know happy to have been that I can say that I have a master's from there too. 
Um, so there's a special place in my heart of, uh, with that school. It has its problems, it has its issues, but I still think it's wonderful and great and all that. So, and NIU is quite good too. My sister went there, so no, no disses towards NIU. <laughs> Go Huskies. <laughs> all I, right. I went to NIU and I have your same job. So there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Uh, all right. So I wanted to ask you um, about like the impetus and the timeline and the context for creation, the create creation of critical AI. Um, you kind of, I think you kind of just slightly explained your exigence for that. Um, but maybe if you could go like maybe a more, um, less technical answer, maybe like, you know, cause you know, exigence rhetorically means like the real reason you do something. Right. So like you decided that because it was you that decided to do critical AI, right? Yes. I'm in dialogue with, with people that also shared my concerns, which was, you know, there were there were a few concerns. I mean, one thing I want to make clear to your listeners, because um, this is not necessarily obvious, is that the critical critical AI, um, with critical meaning many things, um, it has a lot of different usages in English. For us, is primarily critical in the sense of being able to use your own judgment and discernment, um, which is how the Greeks meant it. Um, when they uh, use the word that now in philosophy circles is sometimes called critique with a, right. with a Q-U mm-hmm. in English, although with a K if you're German. And um, right. so that, that idea of critique, the use of uh, judgment and discernment to make good decisions, to evaluate things in their context, to distinguish, uh, you know, implausible claims from strong ones. Mm -hmm. That's what's important to us. And because um, the term AI is itself so mysterious and vexed, and because the technology that um, AI consists of in actuality is so little known and understood, the ability for people to actually exercise judgment about it um, is really hard. And that's when we became interested in critical AI studies, in other words, um, research communities that would be very interdisciplinary and would um, talk about this from different vantage points and in critical AI literacy for the general public, in other words, helping people including teachers like yourselves, uh, first and foremost among them, to actually be able to look at AI with a knowledgeable lens. But ultimately, all citizens should be able to do that because um, if and to the extent that uh, AI, as as the industry wants to call it, becomes um, something that makes more and more of an impact on our society, um, people need to understand what it is and to know what they should be concerned about, what it's useful for, what it is not useful for. Yeah, I think, I think it was in the introduction to the first issue. I think you, you, I don't know if that was co-written. I don't have it up in front of me, but I think you'd kind of gone over, oh, or maybe it was the four C's. I can't remember, um, but but, I, but someone was was talking about how AI is kind of a, a misnomer and kind of grafted on from like the sci-fi, like kind yes. of like we kind of have this this real like you know like data from Star Trek and Hal, which is like the Doomsday one, right? Like also from U of I, by the way. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> That's right. That's I, right. I know. I know. Look at that. Um. Yeah, that sounds like something that I did write in the intro. It's it's actually the editor's introduction to the journal yes. Critical AI. So so not that your listeners necessarily care about this, but there there are two critical AIs in my world: the Critical AI at Rutgers Initiative and Critical AI the Journal, which is published out of Rutgers by Duke Press. Okay. And what you're talking about is the inaugural um, the inaugural essay, the inaugural introduction yes. to the new journal. And it's called Humanities in the Loop, right. which is a pun on the industry term human in the loop. Um, the industry talks about human in the loop um, when it 
when it is, it is um, indicating that humans were involved somewhere in the, the pipeline of a new AI system being created, that humans were there at some point in the effort to um, make the system work better, um, to, as the industry likes to call it, align more with what it presumes humans actually want. So that's what human in the loop is. Humanities in the loop comes off of that because the humanities, which as I know I don't have to tell you, are the disciplines um, usually thought of as the most qualitative, um, the most involved mm -hmm. contextual knowledge, critical mm -hmm. thinking skills, um, the understanding that there's not always like one single answer for some mm -hmm. questions, that people may look at things differently, that not sure. everything can be quantified, um, but also that all of those things um, emerge from what it means to be human. So, mm -hmm. so here's, um, here's uh, an industry that claims to be building something that is approximating um, some kind of human-like ability to do X, Y, or Z, um, but has consulted humanists almost not at all. Um, you know, some philosophers sometimes, but usually particular kinds of philosophers who work pretty closely problems that AI researchers are invested in anyway. Um, so that's how you end up with something that claims to be good for teaching, but where were the teachers who gave their input? Where is the community? Mm -hmm. This is a this is a common problem in 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 um, the, the design and implementation of AI, so to speak, across domains, um, not enough doctors or nurses or patients involved mm -hmm. in the design of supposedly helpful medical systems, not enough teachers involved or students involved in AI systems that are supposedly going to help to educate us, not enough humanists involved mm -hmm. in systems that are supposedly um, ethical or human-like or human-centered, responsible. The industry just turns out um, a lot of rhetoric about how hard it's trying to do all these great things, but is usually in dialogue with itself and <laughs> about how it's implementing those things. And, you know, this, be, this is why there is so much AI hype. You know, mm -hmm. Not that anybody in the industry is bad. Um, you know, I work closely with people who are involved in, um, you know, commercial AI enterprise as well as academic research. So um, I am not at all someone who disrespects AI research or the a even the industry um, that is involved behind it. But what I am critical of is the way um, the industry is dominated by very, very large companies who really are not in dialogue with anybody, except in a, a somewhat superficial way to lobby and you know to make nice um, and you know boosters of of it as well. They tend to dominate the hype cycles, so that we're we're hearing about AI. These, these multiple um, layers of hype. And it's so hard to cut through that and say, but you know what? Were people in the domain ever consulted? Did you even I, ask them? Yeah, Professor, I, I really love everything you're saying. Um, it, it actually draws uh, my attention to, it reminds me of a, a, a scenario or situation. I, I remember telling Mike about this, it was probably about a year or two ago. Um, because you're you're pointing to this idea that they, that what we're referring to is AI or large language models they weren't they weren't built uh, with educators or education in mind whatsoever that, that it has is that that the companies that are making them have their own self serving interests which is understandable but it also uh, you know, creates a lot of challenges for uh, various disciplines outside of that particular one and not and the, yeah and the consequences aren't necessarily positive 
Um, but where, where my mind went a little bit, it, it might sound kind of, uh, I don't know, silly in some respects, but also like, I felt like it, it seemed analogous. You'll see what I'm talking about. I was at a coffee shop, um, just doing some work. And I remember hearing this gentleman, at a neighboring table, uh, who was clearly from some tech company. And he was talking about some sort of applications that need to be in schools, but the way he was talking about uh-huh. how schools had to accept it was really striking to me because it sounded aggressive and it sounded completely devoid of any consideration for whether or not teachers, much less students, need, wanted, mm. uh, or, or even would benefit from having what he was, the application he was looking to, to push on these schools and his demeanor. Now, granted, I, you know, to your point, uh, there are a lot of really great people in the tech field that are trying to do the right thing or kind of use it in very kind of, I think, ethical ways. However, there is absolutely going to be an element of people who are just out for a buck and out to kind of push their agenda without much consideration or care for the end user or for people who maybe just don't even need the thing and can benefit or, or, or function mm-hmm. just fine without it, right? We live in, in, a, in a civilization or a, with a species that's never had this before. So we've been okay. Like, it's not like AI is like required, <laughs> Um, but I was really, really struck by just kind of, it, it, it came across not just simply as aggressive, but just completely divorced from the, the human, the very humanistic uh, uh, needs of, uh, of the people that they're saying that they're going to be helping out. And that was alarming to me because I was thinking, my gosh, how many other people are like this? This is just by happenstance I'm hearing in a coffee shop. Uh, Mike kind of called me out. He's like, well, did you challenge him? Did you like say, go up to him and say, are you an English teacher? And I regret that I didn't. But it was one of those things where I'm like, what do I even say to a guy like that? He's, he just seemed like the type of person that just simply wanted to fight. And, uh, and I'm like, wow. And, and I thought, gosh, I, I just need to be very discerning as an English teacher about what things I will allow, what I won't, because I know that there are people who are not necessarily acting in the best interest of, of my class mm-hmm. um, and, and educators themselves. And so I think it's a really good lesson for all of us to just say, hey, Let's pause a little bit and let's think through these things and see where is it helpful, where is it not, um, and, and not just simply just uh, drink the Kool Aid, so to speak. Exactly, exactly. I mean that attitude, um, with or without the aggressive brotude that yeah. you sometimes get, like you know you you hate the future, you know that that sort of thing. You're, why are you so afraid? like why are you so afraid of answering my question you know like <laughs> um you know like it, it it with or without that that attitude that um because uh a, a research community um has come up with a commercial application for a specific technology therefore it must be done mm-hmm. um, right it is in fact historically inaccurate. There are plenty of technologies that um, societies decided were not appropriate. And in the in the case of AI, um, you know, I think that there are a lot of. I mean, I'm I'm simply going to call it predictive analytics because I want it to be very clear what I'm talking about. I think that predictive analytics can be a hugely beneficial technology um, for some things. Um, and we'll see exactly how far it will get us in these areas. We don't want to um, predict in advance that they're necessarily going to work out. But for example, it looks as if there are really strong applications for cancer treatment, mm-hmm. um, for designing drugs. Um, for, you know, hopefully tracking energy use and trying to make it more efficient. And Mm -hmm. so, right, obviously, if you have a huge amount of data and you've obtained it ethically and you know that the data is high quality data and you put some smart people into the room who understand the domain that you want to train a system to make predictions about, you can do a lot of really good things. But this is not the provenance of the systems that we're talking about right now um, when we're being told, well, of course, um, you're going to have your students using ChatGPT, which is going to deliver personalized education to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will help them with the future because if you don't t- treat them, teach them that, you know, you're, you're hobbling them, et cetera, et cetera. 
And, and there are so many things that are wrong with that line of logic. You know, um, again, these, these people are not historical thinkers. They probably don't know much history, or if they do, they're not thinking about it. They're not applying its critical insights to their own um, wish list. So, for example, um, we have had calculators for a very long time, but we have not stopped teaching students how to do arithmetic. Right. Yeah. Because it is a basic building block for understanding. So, the idea that you, as an English teacher, say, in uh, even, you know, I would say even in sixth or seventh grade, all the way up to high school, the idea that like you're going to be um, teaching uh, how to understand um, a literary text. What, what, what are you teaching right now? Uh, I've got the things that carried. What do you have, Mike? Um, we're gearing up to do Slaughterhouse-Five and the Crying a Lot 49, but we haven't started either. Okay. So let's say that you're teaching um, The Crying of Lot 49, the idea that the best way to teach that novel is to have your students engage in discussion with a chatbot. Um, I feel like the chatbot would be confused. <laughs> It'd be like, uh, we don't understand it either. I don't, yeah. I don't um, tell you. Well, in, in, in actuality, it probably wouldn't for the simple reason that the chatbot, um, you know, is it has an enormous amount of training data on slaughterhouse five. Sure. sure. I, I'm sorry. We were talking. About I, I, I was, I was just being a little facetious. I like, yeah. I'm sure that I get a lot of it. Right. I was. <laughs> well, you know, it's not even that it would get it right. Again, let's go back to my remarks about bell curve thinking. Right. Uh -huh. So, you know, let's say we're talking about, um, crying of love 49. So there's lots of schmoop and cliff notes and Wikipedia right. and a yeah. million academic essays and plenty of things that it's now becoming clear they shouldn't have been yeah. um, using as training data, but did, which is to say like paywall things that mm -hmm. they yeah. just sort of got sources of. And, sure. you know, so all kinds of copyright violation and, and problems in that in that vein. Um, but, you know, so tremendous amount of um, training data on, you know, basic plot points, but also like what other people have said. Right. You know, so like, um, you know, why is, um, you know, uh, The Crying of Lot 49 a postmodern novel, you know, to give, right. a, to give an example, like where, you know, what is the conspiratorial thinking that it engenders? Mm -hmm. In this yeah. postmodern way, I'm just like throwing this out there. Yeah, right? you're on. You're on. Um, so, you know, that prior to ChatGPT, that would be like a good discussion question for students. And it still, of course, is a good discussion question for that, but one that um, contributes to the sense that ChatGPT is some kind of genie or, um, you know, genius technology simply because it has modeled all that training data and can give mm -hmm. you a, a, a strong-ish probable answer mm -hmm. to that question because it's what everybody sort of, um, mm -hmm. you know, or I should say what many people have uh, begun their conversations about that novel with. So that, you know, on a really, really good trial, ChatGPT sounds very similar to Wikipedia, mm -hmm. but without the really good footnotes that Wikipedia right. insists upon, right. and without any acknowledgement of the fact yeah. that what is supposedly like some genius technology is actually working on the backs of thousands of people wrote those wikipedia sure. articles and those schmoops right. and all of those things well and they're and they're checking and double checking and making sure it's, it's high quality to your point so that's not you're get, not getting a, a false information or trying to limit it right um you know the other thing too that kind of comes to mind is that and, and this is maybe shifting the conversation a little bit so we can certainly go back but as you're explaining that the that, that's also kind of like approaching or using chat gpt from the standpoint of like I need outputs to tell me what the story is about, as opposed to 
reading a story and experiencing it, you know, um, as an individual human, right? That like, mm -hmm. what is that experience of reading a lot 49 or the crying a lot 49 or slaughterhouse five? I mean, slaughterhouse five, I remember it's just disorienting. And that's part of that experience you need to feel. So if you go through and just say, Hey, give me a quick summary or the notes for it, you're missing the complete experience. And, and you know, mm -hmm. it, it just seems kind of baffling to me. Like we don't, we, we, you can do that for songs. You can do that for movies and TV shows, which have you, but you don't because you want to have that experience. And that's the same thing with reading. You want to go through and, and see well, what's that world kind of be transported. And it just doesn't work when you get bolted lists of like, you know, here's what to think or what to know right. about the book. Right. Right. Exactly. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's one step worse. I mean, you know, we've all had the experience of teaching a, a novel or poem or story that we love mm -hmm. and, and getting the feeling, you know, sometimes you can actually even see in a response paper, like, oh, there's a, um, there's a cliff note, yeah. you know, a little thing. And, you know, maybe the person read the novel but still went to cliff notes yeah. out of some sense of anxiety of, you know, mm -hmm. wanting to say a smart yeah. thing. There, there's, there's not always bad intentions. I don't think that there's laziness sure. always involved. Or maybe they didn't, you know, maybe they just, yep. but, but even the person who goes to cliff notes, you know, even the person who reads Wikipedia knows where they got that information from. Mm -hmm. um, Whereas like the person who goes to a language model um, is getting a kind of a model synthesis of, you know, what's out there on that topic with no attribution whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So that although technically, um, you know, technically speaking, um, language models don't plagiarize in the sense that they're not, um, mm -hmm. They're not reproducing verbatim um, a, a, some language that appeared on some site, although it, in spite of the fact that technically that's not supposed to be the case, it happens. Mm -hmm. um, in a way, they're committing a worse form of plagiarism because they're saying all kinds of things without attributing whatsoever. Or when they do attribute, it's now through these pledges that bring together one model, the language model, with um, uh, a search engine, and then you end up with those systems as with Bing and Google Bard, where right. you've got like the wrong citation for, right. um, you know, or a made up citation. And, you know, what, what it's really doing there, and this is, this, this is a little bit hard to follow, is it's, taking its own modeled output from training data and sticking it into the search engine and giving you an answer of where you might get that information, but it isn't where it got its information. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So Chat like, GPT in the loop. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so like everything is mediated and biased. You know, it's like what I what I like to think of these systems as is like Summaries of summaries of summaries of summaries. That, it's not plagiarism, you know, it's paraphrasism. I love that. You're coining just words left and right. I, I know, look at me go, right? I have English degrees. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let me ask you, I, I want to kind of want to go back to, well, one, all, everything you just said, I think has been Pat and, and my experience. Um, uh, that about about the about stuff you don't quite know what a kid knows and that the, the book is the experience and um and and you know, there's always kind of ways to circumvent that it's just that like the ai stuff is going to be like way more it's just so easy right um but i kind of wanted to go back to um the, the the language and about how no one wants to say stochastic parrot and and like kind of like the like critical AI and even the word critical, like because we're so used to teaching high school kids that we talk about, you know, we talk about being like critical analysis. We're like, we're not going to like tear something apart. Like we're not criticizing. They have to explain the word, right? Because you hear critical and people think, you know, it's like a pejorative, right? Um, and I was thinking about uh, critical AI and like, you, you know, you're like, well, we mean this, this, this definition, right? This usage. And I was thinking like, okay, so critical AI, 
and and professors like you are kind of um, letting people know that there's there's more that we have to understand to use these systems. And then I think about um, the way that uh, Silicon Valley markets, right? And so like they and and I I think one about like scooters and about how like four years ago or five years ago they just dumped scooters, right? In in cities and then and then people like took care of it, which is a weird thing that you would do. And that I also think about how, you know, open AI is proprietary. Like you have to pay to use the good model, but then then they're going to suck up proprietary information that authors wrote. But and that's okay because they they kind of posture that they're serving this kind of higher function. And then um so I'm thinking about all that stuff and I'm thinking about like anthrop I can never say the word anthropomorphizing. Anthropomorphizing. Right. And about how we do that to the AI system. And then your opening salvo about like how kind of AI is kind of misappropriated term from from science. And then I, and I think I go, okay, well, what do we do? Because when you think about language and rhetoric, they're good at getting people on board with their product, you know, and part of it is by hooking us in emotionally, which is probably the anthropomorphizing of, of it. Right. And so where, where does critical AI's role where like you, you, you pretty much admitted, like, you know, the language that we're using is so our language, the language of people at universities, and it's very clear language if you understand it, but if you don't understand stoca stochastic, stochastic, stochastic parrot, then you've lost, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, that particular article, which is extraordinary and 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 worth teaching to your students um, through some excerpts. Give me a second here. I've got. Some I think questions. I think I've got okay. it. Is it on the dangers of stochastic parrots? Can language models be too big? I think that's the right one. I think I've got it right here. Uh, I'm assuming it's the correct one because it's got Bender and Emily Bender. Um, I, I, think sure you I think you found a summary by AI. Did, well, I'm joking. I mean, it's got I'm like, joking. I'm joking. Oh, well, it's like 14 pages. So it's not a summary, but it does have an abstract. That'd be weird if there was like a summary of the summary. But um, it's got Macmillan Major, uh, Mitchell, and uh, is yeah. it Gebru, Jebru, something like that? Um, I, I'm I'm wondering if that's the same one. I don't I don't professor yes, catch that. That, that, is, the that is the that is the paper. Yeah. So, okay, um, well, you know, you know we'll your, your students would yeah. not be your students would not be able to um, uh, read the paper easily because it is a technical paper. It was not intended for a mass audience. It was intended for other people in the natural language processing yeah. community. Right. And, you know, the typical person doesn't even know what natural language processing right. is. I've learned that in the past so, year. Can, yeah, I be, can I be cheeky just a little bit? You're going to hate me yeah. for saying this. Could you take it and uh, upload it to ChatGPT and get a, a quick little summary or no? I'm sure you could. Okay. Sure you could. Right. And it might be a decent summary. Yeah, because a decent, summary, yeah. summary is one of the best things that these systems do, though they yeah. still... Sure. You know, there's a randomness to mm -hmm. what they will leave out, what will they decide mm -hmm. is important. You know, well, again, they're always working on what, you know, that they're premised on the idea that they're going to give you the most useful output according to, um, you know, the, the criteria that were used when the model was designed. In reality, the world is a very complicated and messy mm -hmm. place. Yeah. So the reason why you don't want to read a summary of even an article like that one is that the details that matter to you might be left out of the summary. Mm -hmm. The reason why you don't want to read a summary of the crying of Lot 49 instead of the crying of Lot 49 is that you, then you've missed the point completely yep. because right. that's a literary work. And the point is the impact on your mm -hmm. life experience. You yes, want yes. you want to know what it feels like to be inside the paranoid world of that oh, yeah. model, yeah. of that of that novel. Pardon sure. me. Sure. Um, well, so, it is a model of a world, right? Like you, yeah, when yeah. you read a text, you enter into a brand new world unto yeah. itself. That, that's it's really the, well it's set the first up. Virtual really reality. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, you know, we had a professor Trudy Watt, who's a architect. Mm -hmm. professor, I just think of the same thing. She and we we grabbed one of her her scholarly articles, and we were showing her the PDF summarizer that was a plugin mm -hmm. for ChatGPT, and we were like, "Hey, how how accurate is this?" Yep. And she was like, 
okay. okay. <laughs> well, she she's she said it actually generally did a pretty good job but to that point uh the, and what you're speaking about professor is it, it it seemed to at points miss some of the nuance of what she's trying to say right and so she's like yeah i mean generally it kind of works but there are some moments where it seems kind of maybe miss misread yes. or misunderstand quite what she meant um which could be problematic and i can i can see situations where I mean, heck, you can think of legal situations that could be a significant problem. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, in any event, and as, as we know, that you know, that's one of the many emerging um, sort of foibles. Um, you know, we we know the story of the lawyer who used ChatGPT mm -hmm. for his legal research yep. and was humiliated. Um, I, I I do want to say so. Um, there is an event that I would like to publicize, that I would love for your listeners to attend. It's on October 6th. It is called um, Critical AI Literacy in a Time of Chatbots, a public symposium for educators, writers, and citizens. And I'm pretty sure if you put that into a search engine um, that you will end up at the Critical AI homepage um, for uh, our events. But if, if for some reason you don't, um, perhaps I think you said you would put the, the events link. The events page has the registration link. Um, yeah, we will for sure put that in there. Okay. So, I, just to but, make sure. So, so under the critical, it's criticalai.org. You can go there, correct? And then you can click on related events and it's listed there. Is that correct? No, um, no. I, I can make sure that it is actually. Okay. Um, okay. Criticalai.org is, is our blog. Okay. Complicated reason why we keep the blog separate from the, um, from the Rutgers site. But, okay. um, and it may actually, now that I think about it, let me see. I think I, I foresaw so, the, the desire. Yeah. If you go, if you land on criticalai.org, it actually says to register for it our sure 10-6 virtual event. You know, so so yes. Let me yeah, that'd be easy. Talking about these complicated instructions and say yes at both the Prometheus landing page and the yeah. criticalai.org, you will end up in the right place. Okay. So I, I would love for for um, your listeners, uh, teachers. We will have teachers speaking. Um, K through 12 teachers. We will also have um, uh, Brian Merchant, who is the tech columnist for the LA Times. He's being interviewed by um, award-winning poets and uh, literary critics working on television because he's going to be talking about um, the Writers Guild of America strike and about Luddism, which is the subject of mm -hmm. his book. We also have Amber Kack from the AI Now Institute, which is a great um, policy institute uh, that talks about a lot of the problems about the biases and harms, um, the bad environmental issues mm -hmm. that are related to AI. Um, they are at NYU. So um, without overwhelming you with all of the things that we hope to include on this day-long event it would be great to see you and some of your listeners there the event concludes with breakout sessions where people can just talk to each other right we'll have to see because i think it's a friday and i think you're a public school teacher like you're there from seven to four um it will be archived Oh, so that that might be that, a way to do it, but then that, you can't be part of that the conversation. That is Eastern, Mike. So we're Central, so that gives us an hour. It gives us an hour, actually. right? But so anyway, so it's it's ten six October six. It's called Critical AI Literacy in a Time of Chatbot Chatbots. It's free if you're interested in AI. If you're uh, just interested in AI and in, in any uh, any mm -hmm. job, it would probably be worth checking out. Uh, I'd I'd like to go. I'm just trying to figure out like, yeah, yeah it's a personal day or. I don't know, so, but maybe the district got, it's unfortunately know. it's uh it's a week before we have conferences so if it was the following week oh, we could go yeah, actually could do it, but that's just neither here nor there uh maybe so. i don't know maybe we can get maybe we can get the district let's go maybe that'd be cool <laughs> but i wanted know. to go back i know we don't have that much time so yeah. i want to go back to the thing that i think pat was saying or maybe okay. both of you were saying it which is that so like what do we do yep. if, if to understand the stakes of this problem 
You mm-hmm. need to understand the word stochastic parrots, but you don't. Right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do think that that's an important issue. And that's the kind of motivation that led to our creating this event. This is okay. for the public. We need right. to give everybody um, the kind of literacy that they need to make decisions about what kind of AI that they support. Mm-hmm. And as you pointed out, um, you know, ChatGPT is surveillant. Um, they are going to be using all of your inputs for training data. They are in it for monetization. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not they're not there for for you know the good of humanity, whatever else they may say about that. Um, I mentioned earlier that these um, systems are extremely energy and water mm. intensive. Not only their carbon footprint, but their water fr- footprint is, is, is quite substantial. Um, and that is because they are, they are computation heavy. So like right. when you put a, a search term into a search engine and you land on Wikipedia, that uses much less, less energy, um, not to mention gets you to a more reliable result than if you put the same question into ChatGPT and it has to compute the mm. answer for you, which is a computation heavy thing that involves much more um, computation in the server um, area where that is being um, stored. And therefore, it needs, depending on the time of year, the the particular server needs a lot more water to cool those yeah. in order to do that computation. So, among other things, it's extremely inefficient. It's not even this is not by any means a green technology. In fact, it's hard to think of something less green that we wow. want to be doing digitally. Um, you know, why would we want to multiply our carbon footprint for asking right. simple questions? Yeah, you know, it's um, it's a ladder of abstraction type of thing. I think people get on their device and the device just works. And I think a lot of people think of chat GPT as like, oh, I'm searching the internet, but it's easier. But but you're not. It's a whole, it's like almost, it's going into a gigantic database, right? And And I've, for years, I've had to explain to kids like, Okay, you're using something that looks like, like you're using the internet to get to a database, but the database is these. It's not even a database; it's a model of a database. Oh, oh, wow, oh okay. boy. Okay. Well, then so we're back in is, pension land, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. In <laughs> fact, um, though I completely love the stochastic parrots paper, and do think that um, that teachers should read it and just pull some snips out to discuss with their students because it's it's not intended for, for grade school kids. Right. Um, the thing that might be appropriate to um, teach in your classrooms, it would be hard, but, but, but really rewarding for them is Ted Chang's article, um, is ChatGPT a blurry JPEG? Oh yeah, I've read that. Um, appeared in the New times. Yorker. Um, I, I teach a lot of Chang, and I'll mention too because uh, Emily Bender is, um, is is so important in in this sort of critical approach that she and um, Ted Chang are actually speaking together on a panel that has been put together in Seattle on November 9th. I think that's the right date. I might okay. have that slightly wrong. Don't don't quote me on on that actual date, but like. You can probably find it. Um, it's early November, and um, you know that is probably the kind of thing where um, showing that video or pieces of it to your students, and then having a discussion about what they're right. saying in conjunction with some snips from stochastic parrots, and you know maybe a prior reading of the the Ted Chang article, and maybe. One of his great stories. I teach the life cycle of software objects, which is a novella that is that is really fun to teach. Not heard of that. Um, there, I we have I have so many other questions, but we I think we're we're coming up here pretty pretty much on like about fifty minutes probably, mm-hmm. um, which in our experience is about as long as people can pay attention, right? <laughs> <Look at that. laughs> unless like or unless you're super bored, we're, we're, we're locked in. 
But, yeah. Well, so, this has been such a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. It really has been. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Um, there's been I, I don't even know if I can summarize this one because it because it it got so um, uh, in depth. So I'm not going to try. Well, <laughs> it's funny. It's funny, Mike. It's you're having a hard time. Your screen's actually frozen. That's how I know you're really thinking hard over there. Uh, but uh, we can. Yeah, I, cr I crashed fine. again. So anyway, <laughs> with with the crashing, we, um, Professor Goodlad, you've managed to crash my computer. I oh, appreciate that. Um, <laughs> Uh, thank you for coming. I have on that effect on people too. You know, like they just they they they're just sort of like I don't want to deal with that. Mind melt, you know? mind melt. This is this is brilliant though. This is really really good stuff. Yeah, well, thank it's you my, so much. It's my pleasure. Um, you know, and uh, you know, I'll come back in six months if you have follow up questions. Oh, that you oh yeah, ask. for sure. For sure, We'd love for it. sure. We'd love it. Um, but I, I would love, I, I particularly like where we landed. There's so many great people out there that are doing this work and the idea of teachers just sort of engaging work that is a little bit too difficult for the students, but bringing it into the classroom in some way. Um, but the other fun thing is that the DARE Institute, D-A-I-R, um, which is founded by Timnit Jabru, same to meet Jabru, fired by Google, um, you know, and co-author of the stochastic paper, stochastic parrots paper. Um, she, um, that institute is now doing uh, a mystery hype AI theater set of events with um, Emily and Alex Hanna. And they like go over like a few weeks of sort of AI hype and debunk it in a very fun you know kind of atmosphere okay all right well we will um we'll try to link everything that we can right um and we would love to have you back on the show for sure and all right you. you take thank care you for your time say thank hi to so all my much. friends in illinois will do will do <laughs> okay bye. bye oh man what a show distinguished professor dr lauren Goodlad out of rutgers and also critical ai I want to underscore and highlight the critical AI literacy in the time of chatbots public symposium for educators, writers, and citizens. She's putting that together. It's free. You can register at their site. Um, there's so many links, so many references in this program to uh, all the different uh, uh, journals, stories, essays, articles, whatever. I linked everything um, on our RSS webpage. I'm not so sure in the show notes if that stuff shows up on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, but if you look for the Bot Brothers on RSS, you can find all that for your ease. There's also the usual links to get hold of Pat or I. Um, there's the Twitter also, and there's Pat's Facebook group. There's also a form to contact us to ask a question or uh, maybe ask us to do something on a show. We're, we have got some responses for that, and we're working on that. So, boy, hope good lad can come back. Um, have a great week. Watch out for the AI and have fun with it too. Bye-bye.